This is a Podfire production. This podcast may include explicit themes or swearing and may not be suitable for children. The world is full of amazing people, and once a week, I get the opportunity to interview one of them. My name is Brett McCallum, and this is Awesome Humans. I love to box. It helps with my mental health, my fitness, and my all-round sanity. The feeling of hitting a bag or pads is second to none, and the fact that you get knackered whilst doing it is beneficial for my all-round health. But then you step into the ring, it's a completely different story. The fact that someone's now trying to punch you in the face and kill you changes the ball game. It takes a very special person to be able to do this and do this for a living. When you add in words like guillotine, choke, submission, TKO, doctor stoppage, TKO, punches and elbows, accidental punch to the back of the head, shit starts to get real. Dylan the Villain Andrews is an MMA fighter from New Zealand who's been a professional fighter since 2006. He was a semi-finalist in the Ultimate Fighter. He was the Nitro middleweight champion and has competed at the highest level on the biggest stage, the UFC. At a height of six foot one and a fighting weight of 84 kilos, Dylan has fought in 30 professional fights all around the world with a win-loss record of 18 wins, 11 losses and one NC. Don't know what that means. We'll go there later. He's now a 40-year-old, still fit, and one of the many coaches of a slightly overweight podcast host. This story is going to be a ripper. Welcome, Dylan. How are you, buddy? Yeah, awesome, man. Thanks for having me. Was that intro all right? It was pretty good, man. Pretty good? Was, yeah, did I get everything right? What's yeah. the NC mean? No contest. Oh, is that when someone accidentally kicked someone in the head? Back yeah, it was shit house. I should have. That was a disqualification, not a no contest, but when you fight in certain countries, they have, um, they're always looking out for certain people, and it wasn't me that day, so. Oh, bugger. Yeah, shit house. Take it as a win. Take it as a win. <laughs> 19 <laughs> wins, 11 <laughs> losses. Yeah. Mate, the way I always love to start this podcast is going, back to the very beginning what's what's the first ever memory you can think of how far back can you go i have a memory of being on a tricycle riding down to the shop with my older brother i'm thinking going again to packet of lollies so if i'm riding a tricycle i'm saying that's pretty far back so you're like two or three years old pretty much probably man wow and do you, do you, is it a memory or is it a photo that you've seen and then remembered no nah, man i think there's only about two photos of me in my whole life oh really to, yeah and um yeah I, that's just a memory it's just a thought that's just that's awesome yeah so yeah. where were you born uh i grew up in lower hut wellington, wellington lower hut mm-hmm. uh new zealand uh, and uh, is that where you, you say you were born there and then went to school there? Yep, did all my schooling in one small town. Lower what was Hutt. your school? Uh, I went to Gracefield School, and then uh, typically all the kids sort of follow the same schooling. There's yeah. not many schools that you go by, so you know, went to uh, Gracefield, then I went to Hutt Intermediate, then went on to college, which was uh, Hutt Valley High School. And what uh, what sort of kid were you as a young bloke? Were you a, a nerd, a jock? Were you naughty? Were you just in the background? Yeah, I don't. Uh, I think I just had a lot of energy. I wouldn't say naughty. I don't. <laughs> oh, probably. <laughs> ADHD. Yeah, type yeah, naughty, yeah, 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 yeah. We'll call it that. I think that's what it was. <laughs> I wasn't. Yeah, I think the teachers back then would would like to have said I was I was naughty. Yeah. But I just think I was, um, I had a lot of energy and um, I didn't really know how to channel it properly. So then when you moved on through the years, did you, uh, did that naughtiness get worse or more hyperactivity or how did that go? 
I don't know if it got worse. I was just trying to find my way in life, you know, trying to, uh, as a Which young kid. Which is tough, kid. Right? Yeah, so I was just trying to find some direction. I, I knew what I, from a very early age, I knew what I liked or what I loved. Um, but that wasn't necessarily um, not so much condoned or, or or even harnessed my my the way I thought and the way I acted. It was just um, there was a set direction of what you had to do. Yep. And um, anything outside that box just was was not looked at or thought about. So. So you come from a Maori heritage, mm-hmm. yeah. And so was that local area. Um, all Maoris, very Maori orientated. How was that sort of area where you grew up? No, it, wa- it wasn't really. It was quite. It was no. I mean, there was pockets of it, but predominantly white. Um, so it wasn't no. And and I know these are questions I don't know. That's why I'm asking. Mm-hmm. So what, what's racism like in New Zealand when you're a young kid? Racism? Yeah. Yeah, I I suffered it. Yeah. Yeah, I had it from an early age. From about well, from my earliest, probably about nine or ten, didn't really understand it. Didn't and really. What was understand. that? Was that more bullying or racism? Yeah, it was reckon? just it was no, because the N word. I was I was called nigger a lot. Yeah. So I guess partially I, I learned that racism isn't just um, exclusive to black for what you see on on the media. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. People associate. Well, they do now. It's getting more, you know. It's become well, in a fucked up world at the moment. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> crazy. Yeah, but to me, I was like, well, I'm not. I thought racism was black. You're black, and I looked at myself, and I wasn't black. Yeah, you know what I mean. I was, I was light brown. Yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, why am I? Why are you calling me a nigger? Why are you saying the n word to me? Why you know? And then I was just like... Um, so what do you do with that? Do you take that home? Do you like go home to, to your family and say, hey, someone's just dropped the N-word and what's that mean, Dad or Mum or whoever? Yeah. Well, we weren't... Our family didn't talk much. We okay. And I was the youngest, so I was kind of... I felt like maybe I was just... Uh, I was young, so I was, I was just... My voice wasn't heard. Yeah, okay. You know How many I mean? kids? Uh, I had two older brothers. Yeah. And they're much older or? Yeah, four years apart. So uh-huh. from my age, and then the next one's four years, and the next one after that's four years. So your oldest is eight years older? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So you're completely different sort of worlds by that stage, yep. aren't you? Yeah, 100%. And, yep. and what about mum and dad? Uh, mum and dad, yeah, it was, that's a, it was a, so it was pretty well documented was done sort of through the UFC and stuff like that. But um, even prior to that, my mum was a was a drug addict mm-hmm. and um, my dad drunk a lot. Okay. You know, whether you call it him an alcoholic, I wouldn't say, uh, I don't know, just drunk a lot. Yep. And um, so I grew up in that environment. Mm-hmm. That was the environment that I grew up in. Um and you just mentioned that was mentioned a lot with the UFC. Well, is yeah. that is that so they had a story? Yeah. Is that is that what that's all about? Like, is a lot of that. Like, yep. we know WWE's fake, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And we know UFC's not fake. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they still obviously have those storylines. So is that something they dug really deep into? I know we'll go into that a bit later as we get through life. But yeah, yeah. Is yeah. that is that something big they dug into? Well, because my initial introduction to the UFC will when I signed with the UFC was I went through a reality show called The Ultimate Fighter, which I'm sure we'll talk about a lot more later on. But that was my introduction. The the whole point 
what they try to do is they try to captivate the audience through, yeah, through TV. Well, it's, so, it's a TV show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my story just happened to be a real it – was, it, was, it was real. Yeah. It was real. It wasn't fake. It was something that a lot of people can relate to. And, um, oh, 100%, mate. And it was just uh, – it, it was real. And um, they they didn't play on it, but they used that as a way of getting me out there. and, and To make you, you know, feel, oh, these poor kids come yeah, from this and yeah, now he's yeah, got to this and look at right. him now yeah, type, that's right. type yeah. thing, isn't it? Yeah. So that was so – storytelling yeah, is what that is. Yeah. So that was um, – that's what they used and that's how a lot of people know me and can relate to me and why I guess I'm – you know, I mean, that could segue to like um, bullying on social media and stuff like that. I never really got that when I look at a lot of – I have a lot of friends and a lot of other fighters who are just the way they're attacked on social media yeah. and bullied and stuff like that on social media. I've never really encountered that. Oh, okay. I've never really had too many things bad to say about so me. the keyboard warriors haven't tried to get yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, I really haven't. I mean... Well, I hope they don't after this podcast. So. Yeah, I'm, they won't. <laughs> they won't. <laughs> but, yeah, it's just... Um, and I, I think that's because of the, the the relatable story. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, so. people see um, realism as something that they then connect with you more. Yeah. And they they find, oh, actually, he's one of us. Yeah. And as opposed to a big prima donna fighter. Yeah. Um, he's one of us and so he's doing it for the people. And I suppose that's also the story they were trying to tell and, yeah. and get that following behind you. Yeah, yeah. So as the youngest kid... By a fair way, and obviously not the most stable household, mm. you're getting bullied at school at the age of nine and ten. What do you do? Do you go I, and beat up the bully? Do you like go in your room and cry at night? What? What? what how does? How do you deal with that as a kid? I internalized a lot. Yep, I internalized a lot of things. As a lot of us do, yeah, yeah. for sure. And because I couldn't speak to anybody, I couldn't talk. It was. And uh, bullying carried on right up to about, I was like 15 maybe. Were you a big kid? Nah, I wasn't. I was scrawny. scrawny. So people thought they could pick on you because yeah. you were smaller than them yeah. and stuff. I also think there's a certain way that you carry yourself mm -hmm. that, that that attracts bullies. Yeah. You know, and that regardless of, I mean, you see big kids getting bullied. Mm. You see small kids getting bullied. You see... Anything, I I believe it's a way that you carry yourself and how you're seen, which is it's, it's like it's like just the law of the jungle. You see that weak, yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? You go after it, you attack it, and uh, probably the way I was brought up and the things that I developed created that person, created that 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 intimidating kid who would walk around with his head down and was just like, you know what, this kid ain't he doesn't pose um, a, threat. a threat. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So I'm like, for anybody who's a shit person and is just going through their own shit and is like, all right, I need someone to unleash my shit on. Yeah. All right, cool. There he is. That's, you know, that's one of the guys that I'm going to shit on. Yep. And I'm going to keep doing it until something happens. You know what I mean? Whether that kid stands up for himself, whether he finally breaks the chains and is able to talk to a teacher or talk to anybody. But it just, it's hard. So the, the little town that you were brought up in and the schools you went to, were they were they rough rough and tumble schools? Like you wouldn't go and snitch on kids because then snitches get stitches and all that sort of shit? Yeah, it was. It was a rough place. Yeah. It was. It was so 
yeah, to say it was predominantly white, but they still had their pockets and the pockets that they were had were quite, yeah, you didn't say or speak out too much. It wasn't okay. a good idea. So it's a rough childhood. Mm. How were you academically? Shit. Yeah? Shit. I didn't want to learn. Oh, not so much I didn't want to learn. You, it takes a real good teacher to be able to just be like, okay, this kid doesn't learn that way. Mm-hmm. I'm just not going to get through this kid the same way I get through to the people who are excelling. Yeah. You know what I mean? The people that are learning and, and learn through the system. Okay, this this is the way you learn and this is it. And I just, I couldn't learn that way. I couldn't. It wasn't fun. It just wasn't fun for me. Sport was fun. I loved it. I love sport. And what was your sport of choice back then? I played everything. I did everything. Yeah. Every single thing you could do, I did it. It was your outlet. Were you good at it? Yeah. So were you one of those kids that sort of if they played cricket, they could bowl and bat, yeah. play basketball, you could shoot, yeah. all that sort of stuff. I so. could do everything. Yeah. Yeah. I And I loved it. And it was probably from an early age where my my auntie who enrolled, me and my cousin, we were both the same age and we grew up together. We just played sport. But she enrolled us in every sport that you could play during the season. So, I mean, you played rugby, you played cricket. Uh, and then on top of that, I was doing athletics. So I had a – within the athletics, there were so many variables that I was learning and picking up on, yeah. you know, whether it was sprinting, uh, shot put, javelin, high jump. I was learning all these attributes, you know, to explode, to be fast, to be strong, you know. I was learning different things that would apply and carry over into – whatever, anything else I did. It's funny, isn't it? You look back now and you think, actually, I learned that back then that I do now. Yeah. And yeah. it's um, that's how schooling's supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. not. The education yeah, yeah. system's broken. Yeah. But that's what it's supposed to be. It teaches you things now that you can then use in real life. Yeah. You look at sport and sport does it. Yeah. Like, like kids learn so much more by on a weekend by their soccer coach or whoever it is because they're teaching them all these little things. And for you to do that later in life as a professional athlete, um, it it must be pretty cool sitting back thinking, actually, I did achieve that or I did do that as well because a lot of people think their childhoods were shit because they didn't learn anything or they were crap at school or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But then you take those things you did learn, you know, oh, actually, I wasn't that dumb. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, it was awesome. So at the age of 14, you said you got sort of bullied between 9 and 14. What happened yeah. at 14? As far as after the bullying or? Yeah, well, why did it stop? Well, it just, we just, I wasn't in school. I left school at 15. Okay. I think I left school at 15, yeah. Um, did you ever want to be anything when you were at school? Yes. What do you want to be? A professional athlete. You did, yeah. So that was on the on the target, yeah. Anything. I just wanted to be professional athlete as something. And who'd you look up to as an athlete back then? My older brother. Oh, really? My what was he? Brother. Uh, he played rugby. Mm-hmm. Could have been the best. He was pitted to be the best. He was supposed. To, he played all all grades. He was. He was just the man. He was supposed to be an all black. He was supposed to. He was the number one prop. He was fast. He was agile. He was strong. He was everything that I aspired when I'm watching him, when I'm watching him on the sideline and I'd watch him and I just uh, – no one had anything bad to say about my brother. He was always, mm. oh, you're Dylan uh, – you're Dion's brother. You're, you know what I mean? And I didn't quite know what it was at first. But I just – I almost had tunnel vision on him and watched him. Yeah. And – Every everything he did was 
was was God was was you know it was gospel to me. Um, but my brother became a drug addict early, like I think he said like eleven. I think he was. He started uh, taking drugs, and then it just the drugs got harder and harder and harder. And he was doing it through school, and so even when he was playing sport, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I sort of just watched this idol, yeah, an idol, hundred yeah. percent, an idol icon to me, just deteriorate and just lose all these things, you know. And he had these people that were just trying to push him so much to just be better, and you know, hey, listen, man, but. You can be this, you can be that. And all I did was just watch his mates just take off and my brother just sort of like just stay and just decline, you know. And um, it was hard to hard to watch and I'd seen, I've seen so much of my brother. So I saw my brother as this massive superhero and then I also saw him um, just wither away and just become like just nothing. I mean, I used to go and visit him in mental hospitals and I was just, I used to, I used to sit in the hallway in my room and then I'd look down the hallway and my brother's just rocking back and forth on his bed, just fucking. From drugs? Yeah, just didn't understand it. How old were you then? Probably, I was early like uh what was I? eight years younger than him he was 16 like so you're eight nine years old yeah just watching it and i'm just like what the fuck um and what happened to him uh he's still like i don't really talk to him much yeah you know he's still with us though yeah yeah he's still with us um i think he's getting his sort of life back on track now um but just mm, yeah i yeah he's he's doing all right i mean he's always regardless of how high or whatever he's always like um been super proud and the times you know Almost my success has sort of been like the uplifting thing in my family. It's given my family hope, which was another huge driving force for me while I was doing this, you know. Because actually none of it has been for me. I I, I got in, I think I, I started fighting to empower myself, to feel better about myself and feel like I can take care of myself. But the huge byproduct of that was to see the uprising of my family and just see, just, my family was att- not attached to shit, but there was so much bad, bad in there. Like, well, well it's morbid and it's bad, but not in a fucking bad way, but just like, it's like a shit family like what the fuck are you offering the world as yeah. a, as a family like what are you doing like how are you contributing and me doing what i did felt like okay this is what we're doing and now this person's going to do this i.e. my mum my dad my brother they're going to build off that and they're going to be better now my mum doesn't do drugs my dad still drinks but he's a lot more humble mm angry dude but less angry as you get older you know 
Um, my other brother, who was um, the middle brother, he was 220 kilos six months ago. And now 220. That's 220. A big yeah. And I trained him for years to try and help him. And psychologically, he just couldn't do it. He just couldn't. He couldn't. He could lose the weight, but it would be back on. Yeah. You know what I mean? I know so, exactly what you yeah. mean. So exactly he, same way me. Yeah. So he went and got lap band surgery done, and it's just made a massive change in his life. And he's he's just loving. He's full steam ahead with fitness, and it's 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 awesome to see. It's amazing. Um, but that carryover effect of just like fuck, start the ball rolling, like do something good. And when then, did that? When did that kick in? When did do you remember? Was it a certain moment or thing that happened that said, "No, fuck it, I'm not going to be like them. I'm going to do this for them or for me or for whatever," to get that sort of stigma away from the family? Yeah, I was. Um, I was never going to be that person, and that was another thing that I was struggling with. Is because I grew up in the environment, and it wasn't so much I was struggling with that. I knew sometimes you just. You know right and wrong. Yep. Yeah. You have a you have fuck you come to that fork road, you go left, you go right. Hundred percent. That's a choice. The hard thing for people to believe is how do you make a choice so early on in your life that this is right and this is wrong? Mm. You know what I mean? Schooling, I know it's right to sit in a classroom and listen to a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. But I chose not to. That's a choice. 100%. Why do I choose to not smoke? Why do I choose not to drink? Why do I choose not to do drugs at such an early age? It was... So what I'm saying is what's right and what's wrong with the schooling system? Mm. Is it is that right or wrong that, okay, I can't... Fu- can I swear? Is that Go okay? Okay, cool. So fuck <laughs> off. It's like, is it fucking... Is it wrong that... And it's, I mean, there's so much more to uncover about that, but is it wrong for me to not want to sit in a classroom and listen to this fucking boring session, whatever's going on? It's boring. It doesn't work for me. I'm not going to sit here for four years and do this shit, man. It's no disrespect, but you're just not getting to me. You're not... You're not doing shit. You're not exciting me. And guess what? If you're fucking not passionate about what you do, if you're a teacher and you have to sit through, and I understand it's hard to be a teacher, but fuck, it's hard to do a lot of jobs. Every job. But you just fucking, (laughs) you know what I mean? Yeah. What does the teacher need to do to find that spark or that love or that? Because what the teachers do and what they teach is so impactful on a student, good or bad. Yep. You know what I mean? It has an effect. You're with that teacher for a year. It could be two, whatever. So I'm just like, well, fuck, I don't have the answer. I'm not a teacher. I don't work in the school system. I don't, I don't work in the education system. I don't know. But you figure, do. You know? You do to a point. Mate, you've yeah. got kids. You've, you, yeah. you know what's, what, what's right, what's wrong yeah. and stuff. But it's really interesting because one of the points you just raised there was how do you know at such a young age what's right and wrong? You just do. Yeah. <laughs> You're born right. that way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if it's yeah. right in your gut, I say this to my kids all the time, if it feels wrong in your gut, it's wrong. It's yeah. that simple. Yeah. Or if someone's on your shoulder saying, don't do that, don't do that. Yeah. yeah. Like listen to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the fact that you've been brought up into, you know, in a household where lots of wrong shit's going on, you know mm. it's not right, hence yeah. why you made the choice not to do it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just what happens. Yeah. 
And the thing is, there are two choices. The choice you made, the choice your brother made. Yeah. And you, you look at that and everyone goes, and you, and you always fuck up. Like, yeah. don't get me wrong, we all we all make bad choices. Yeah. But at the same time is there, there are other forks in the road. Yeah. And we need to look at every one of those forks in the road. Yeah. As that moves forward. Yeah. So at 14 years old, you're now a pretty good athlete. How, how are you from an athletics point of view? Are you starting to get noticed? Yeah, so I'm good. So this is another dilemma that I had. <laughs> <laughs> I was not – I was good. I knew I was good. Yep. But in, especially in rugby in New Zealand, like if you're not the best at that time, yeah, yeah. like you're not getting looked at. Mm. Like they're, they're looking for all blacks – at 13, 14 years old. At 14, 14. They're like trying to recruit. They're trying to recruit. Yeah. Um, and it was like I did, like I said, I come from predominantly white, but I played my friends, a lot of Polynesians, a lot of Maldives were all, there's good players. They're real good. Mm. And it's not to say that, okay, why can't I be better? I was never, these, I guess, I can't really tell why I wasn't looked at, but I know bullying for me plateaued me playing. Okay, so what I mean by that is there was a level and there was a level I needed to get to, but I was self-confidence wouldn't let me break that. Because people are batting you back down all yeah. the time. People yeah. are saying how shit you are all the yeah. time. So mm. it was very hard for me to just sort of come out of my shell. I had no confidence. I was, I was just had, I had no confidence. I was, I lacked confidence. Um, and I, you know, I guess that was from the bullying and stuff like that. But um, so that's why I never really progressed. I wanted to. I wanted the coaches to be like, hey, listen, give this guy a chance. Look at me. Look at me. Because I, I, I seeked that. Mm. I it. Um, and when that didn't happen, was that disappointing? Or you just knew it wasn't going to happen? It just wasn't, yeah. It wasn't going to happen. Yeah, I, I I was sort of lost from about 21 to 25. Mm-hmm. From about 20, yeah, about 20 to 25, that was sort of like, okay, what am I doing? So what did you do between sort of that leaving school? Mm-hmm. So you left school at 15. Yep. Did you get a job? Uh, I went and just did a, enrolled in a course and, like, basically the school said, listen, if you don't take this course, we're going to kick you out, so just take it. Mm-hmm. And so, what was the course here? Uh, it was like, um, it was like, wow, what was it? Oh, shit, like it was just... Um, <laughs> <laughs> More education. It was, yeah, it was shit. No, it was like a, just like, um, it was like for like for Māori and Pacific Islanders, just a place where you go, you learn your culture and stuff. It was just a... So it wasn't like an office job or nah, I was just sort of nah, going to nah. learn a bit more about yeah, yourself. Yeah, yeah, but that never appealed to me anyway, really. I never I never wanted to, I just wasn't that person. I, I, I recognise that and I wasn't going to put myself through any unnecessary... Fucking waste anyone's time by trying to fucking <laughs> <laughs> trying to do shit. That yeah, wasn't yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. So. And then did you work between sort of sixteen and twenty, or what yep. did you do there? Yeah, I did furniture removals, and I hated it. And it was, I'm glad I did it. Mm-hmm. So you knew how much I hated it. Yeah. yeah. So I knew how much I hated it, and it was just it was something that was you know. What was the worst thing you ever broke? 
Your bones wise? No, no. Oh, when your furniture removal? No, I was really good. Oh, you know what? Because <laughs> my dad was the like my dad was like the guy at furniture. Like if I wanted a job, he just because he was well respected there. So it was yeah, like, yeah. but my dad is just like I remember when my dad was teaching me to drive. Like you had to be so good, you had to be so good. Like if you crunched the, if you so much as just <laughs> jolted, like it boom, it hit you, and I was just like. I developed – okay, so my dad. My dad is like um, – I think he might be a perfectionist. I never really got – like my dad was around but never really – we never spent time together. Mm. We never really – the only time we spent together was when we played squash. So I grew up playing squash. That was my game. Anything with a bat and ball actually was my game. Yeah. So I play squash. So you're playing against your dad? Yeah, he'd never let me win, never. Never let me win. That's good. Yeah. I never let my kids win. Yeah, yeah. I'd do the same with my kids. Because <laughs> um, the day they beat you yeah. is the day you know they're better than you. <laughs> yeah. Never going to happen. I trust you. I'm going to be 80 in a wheelchair, yeah, yeah. still knocking back I'll that basketball. Tell, yeah, yeah. I tell that to my son too, yeah. Um, so my dad was not – he wasn't the most encouraging. Mm-hmm. He never really – I've got one memory, which is a funny one too. It's not funny. It probably fucking, I don't know. But um, there's a, my dad, after tournaments, after squash tournaments, I'd do really good. I'd always play above my above my age group So because I was too good for the Your kids ages, at my yeah. age. So I had to move up to teenager when I was 10, 11. So I was playing 15, 16-year-olds. And I remember getting to the finals. Every time I'd lose, I'd cry, cry. Cry on court, my dad would be like, ah, man, jeez. You know, I'd, I'd cry on anything. I'd cry yeah. when I go on cricket, lost the race, cry, <laughs> boom, cry, can't handle this, fuck sucks. So I'd just be the crier. And um, I remember I did that, I lost to this teenager, and then I, I didn't understand it at the time. And I, granted, I do think you should – throw some encouragement <laughs> to your kids say, but do not do what I, I feel like that's probably the wrong approach but you know um, as soon as I got off the court my dad was just like okay so what did you do wrong like well, what did you do wrong like, and you're crying and I'm crying I'm just like dad just say I did something good like just yeah, anything please. just please like something anything <laughs> nah what did you do wrong and that was it and just left it at that and I just had to wallow in that and think about it so I remember playing squash in the dark. I'd play squash in the dark while my dad was upstairs drinking because the lights would go off in the squash court, but I'd still be down there because I'd get the light from the bar. Oh, okay, good just see. And I'd get just enough <laughs> light down onto my court to be able to just hit. So I'd be there for hours straight after while my dad was up there drinking and occasionally I'd get a bag of chips and just stop and eat my bag of chips, get back on the court, boom, 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 until it was ready to go at like 10, 11 o'clock at night. So I've been on there two or three hours, but thinking about what did I do wrong, what did I do wrong, what did I do wrong, and then just try and try and fix it. But he would never give me the answer. He'd never. I had to figure it out. Whether I figured it out or not. Did you figure it out? I don't know. (laughs) I never knew if I figured it out. (laughs) But that's not the lesson I was being taught. What was the lesson? The lesson I was being taught was to just – the, the idea that you might not ever figure it out, yeah. but just to keep going, keep moving forward. Cop it on the chin. Yeah, yeah. Move keep forward. going, keep forward. Don't stop. Just keep playing, keep moving, keep doing life, keep doing whatever you want. Just keep moving. That's it. Don't stop. Yeah. So I learned that is the message. That's the message, man. The penny dropped. Fuck. You know what I mean? You're not, you, you might not figure it out, but that's not the lesson you're supposed to learn. 
I wasn't supposed to learn how to fucking drop the ball down on the fucking just above the fucking yeah, touch yeah, bar. Yeah. I wasn't learned to play that wall shot tighter. I wasn't learned to boast the ball. That's the, that wasn't the lesson. The lesson was the lesson keep was going. keep going. That's it, man. You know. Thanks, Dad. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> I love how the pennies drop. Yeah, yeah. Oh fuck! Well, yeah, there, there, there we go. go. Fuck. So you're playing squash. Why didn't you pursue that? I don't know. I felt like it was, um, and this is what I what I feel like I see from a lot of other kids too. And it's typically around the same age. Yeah, yeah for Kids sure. start giving up their sport mm. or start really getting like around 15, 16. Yep. Around that age, 15, 16, 17, like they try, they stop that sport. They stop playing it. And people think it's because of, okay, and this could be, people think it might be because of adolescence. Okay, yep. listen, I just want to go out and party. I just want to drink. I just want, yeah, cool. These might be things. But you also have to think, okay, was this kid doing the sport because I wanted him to do it? <laughs> or did he want to do it? 100%. You know what I mean? And whether the the penny, the ball drops at that age and just be like, fuck, I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. I was only doing this for you. You know what I mean? So now I'm stopping. I'm going to do what I want to do. Yep. Well, whether that's a good or a bad thing, whether it's a rebellious thing, okay, I'm not, I don't want to do this A lot of sport. it would be that. Yeah. So it was just like... That's, I think that's what it was with squash. It was a real big part of my life. To Me and my dad never had a good But it's also where you got to hang out with your dad. Even though he was upstairs having a beer, yeah. right? I'm still with dad. Where were you last night? I was hanging out with dad. Yeah. Dad's fucking nowhere near me. He's upstairs. Yeah. But yeah. I was with dad. Yeah. I got thrown that packet of chips. Yeah. And how good does that make you feel? Though? Yeah. Like, man, I grew up in a very similar way, right? Yeah. And and the same thing. Like, it's... um. It's like you get your bag of chips or your lemonade that you're not yeah. allowed to have when mum's around. Yeah. Hey, this is yeah. what we're going to do here. Yeah, yeah. And it's one of those things, isn't yeah, it? I remember yeah. saying to my mama um, probably only two years ago, I fucking hated going to Scouts. Mm-hmm. I went to Scouts. She goes, I never knew that. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm now 47 years old. <laughs> and I said, you made us go to Scouts. You made us do this. We went on these. I fucking hated it the whole time. And she's there going, why didn't you ever say anything? Yeah. And you sit back now going, actually, I don't know why I never said anything. Yeah. And and it's so true what you just said that at that age, 15, 16. Mm. Like I made my first grade debut for in AFL at, at 16 years old, right? Mm. And I remember my first game, my dad was just so proud of me. Mm. Yeah, he wouldn't tell me, but yeah. he was so proud of me. Yeah. And I got in a fight. I went to help his bloke get in a fight and I got punched in the head and I'm 16, right? Yeah. I cried. Yeah. And he's there going, you're playing first grade football. What the fuck are you crying <laughs> for? And it's like... Like, I come off going, I had a good game, all that sort of stuff. And he's mm. going, what'd you cry for? Mate, the bloke punched me in the head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was those sort of things. But I did that in footy because I love footy, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Whereas all the other shit that I was doing, I stopped at 15, 16. Yeah. It's really interesting. I've never thought about that till just now. Yeah, yeah. And that's a really good um, good thing to teach kids too. Yeah. Actually speak up for yourself. Yeah. If you yeah. don't want to do something, say, thanks, Dad. I know you've always wanted to be that professional squash player, but I'm not going to yeah. be that. Yeah, yeah. So that was... Um, Second lesson for the podcast. Fucking oh, loving this. Fuck, man. Whew, we're thriving. Dropping knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you decide, like you, you mentioned earlier, at the age of 20, you sort of got a bit lost. Mm. When you say lost, did you did you hit bad stuff or what did you do? No, never hit bad stuff. I just probably... I and just, up to that point, how are you going with the ladies? Uh, well, I was in a relationship. For, At that age? Yeah, I was, yeah. I was in a relationship with my partner from the time I was 19 till three years ago. Okay. Yeah, three years ago. So 
was in a relationship and then uh, who I have my two kids with. Yep. Um, so we were deciding to – we decided to move to Sydney because mm-hmm. we had some friends So you were still in Wellington? Yeah. Yep. Still, still stayed in Aloha all the way up until I moved to Australia in 2002. Um, so that was – And what were you doing for work during this time? Removals. Okay. So just still removals? Yeah, a bit of shit here and there but just – Playing nothing. with jobs, nothing, no, nothing. There was just trying to work to get money. That was it. No real structure. Were you doing much fitness? Yeah, it was working out. It was just always. It's always been a part of me. Just have a so, gym. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just a gym. No real structure at all. Um, so I moved to Sydney. Sydney's. It just eats you up. It's too crazy, that place. Is, is going, coming from Lower Heart <laughs> from a small from town. Yeah, coming from Lower Heart where <laughs> shops close at 6 in the afternoon, like to a place where nothing sleeps. Yeah, you know what I mean? Nothing nothing closes and I was just got overwhelmed by it and it just sort of sucked me up for like two or three years until I found a place, mixed martial arts. So I found martial arts, which was when I was 25. I was Late 25. to start. Yeah. Yeah. So you're 25. Are you in Sydney still? Yeah. Yeah. And what did someone tell you about it, or how did how did that sort of come into your head? Yep. So I was always a fan of the UFC. Mm-hmm. Always a big fan of it. Um, used to watch it. Um, and I say this to some people: it's like um, you get two people, two sorts of people who see the UFC. You get people who are disgusted by it, and then you get the other person who's intrigued by it and just look at it in a different way and see it for what it is. Yeah. I saw it for what it was and the purity and just coming from an athletic background to see what these guys can do, I appreciated that. Yep. Not the violence. I don't see it as violence. It's not violence. It's just a... Did you like boxing and wrestling and all that sort of stuff at the time? Never did anything. No? Never did anything. Nothing. Martial arts. I remember doing karate when I was like young. Because you were told Seven, eight. To. Just did it because I wanted a trophy. Yeah. Stopped after day one because they didn't give me a trophy. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck? Where's my trophy? Like, did fucking did kung fu kicks, man. Give me a trophy. Didn't get one. So I'm like, oh, I'm out. This sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so then, yeah. Um, yeah, fast forward back to um, Sydney. I remember I was... Um, I just went and looked for UFC videos to watch. Okay. So because that was it. So I went down to a local video store just to check in Sydney, see if they had UFC um, videos and tapes like that. You know, you could just and he said, I, so I go up to the counter, go, listen, you got a got any UFC videos? And he goes, oh yeah, I think we might have a couple like down there. Go have a look, and I'm like, I look down there, and there's like there are three or four tapes. I'm like fuck yeah, and I was like looking at the back, and I could look at the uh, cover of the video, and I'm just looking at the pictures, and I. I don't know if any other crazy people do this, but I'd look at them and then I'd, I'd imagine what's going on through that image. And I'm yeah, just yeah. like, wow, Your storytelling man, in yeah, head. yeah. I'm just like, man, this is so cool. And then I remember just I'm reading the cover and then dust boop, drops down, drops down onto the video because, oh, fuck, look up. Oh, shit. And then I carry on reading. And boom. Oh, more dust falls down. Okay, what's going on here? So call it whatever, man. You can do this freaky shit. I close, <laughs> I close the case. I put it down. I put it back on the shelf. I walk out the shop. You got the video shop door. Mm. The door right next to it on it says Lions Den Academy Mixed Martial Arts Training Center. Anyone who knows back in early 2000s, early 90s, even late 90s, the Lions Den Academy was a real strong gym in the States. Okay. 
um, that had, you know, it was the founder was uh, Ken Shamrock. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've heard of Ken Shamrock. Oh, hey, Ken he's Shamrock was a WWE yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he's he's really iconic. He was the first guy to go from Ultimate Fighting across to the WWE, yeah. and then he went back. That's right. There yeah, you go. yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I see this sign. It's got the Lions there. Academy, same emblem, same everything. I'm like, what the. You're like mm. so, I walk up the stairs. There's a staircase that goes. Twenty five. Twenty five. Yeah. I walk up and I. Are you fit? No, I'm shit. I'm you, just you, out of weight. Like I, I'm not. You're not obese or anything. No, you're, no, you're no. Going no. to the gym and stuff. Actually, and no. I was probably. I was about a. No, I was a hundred. No, I was 120 kilos. I was 120 kilos. So there's hope um, for me yet. Yeah, hundred percent. One hundred percent. So I walk up there. And uh, the first thing I, I look to the left, I see a boxing ring. I look to the right, I see a wrestling mat. I see all these people on the mat wrestling and stuff like that. I'm just like, what the fuck? This is so cool. And then I see this giant heavy bag, these buck, and there's this heavyweight on the bag and just pounding away. And I'm like, that's what caused the dust to fall down. Oh, downstairs. Yeah, so that's what caused the dust to fall down yeah, onto yeah. the video case when I'm there. And I'm just like, um, and then the owner, Luke Bazzuti, comes up to me, a guy, he comes up and he goes, hey, can I help you? You're good. And I said, I'm just, I'm just uh, checking the gym out. I think this is awesome, you know. Um, how do I start training and stuff like that? And um, he just said. Were you nervous? No, nah, weirdly not. Because you're, you're, you're a shy type of bloke. 100%. Yeah? So yeah. when you walk into an environment like that, I picture you as going, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Yep. No, nah, you were just. Nah. Sort of there might have been some nerve excitement or something like that, yeah, yeah. but to me, it there was, was no apprehension. No, nah, not That's at all. Awesome. I just walked up there and I'm just like, as you know, cliche. Well, fuck whatever. But it just yeah. felt like that's where I needed to. Yeah, this yeah. was it. This was what I've been looking for. Lost for yeah. like five years as well. Yeah. And I just came back the next night and I. What did you go home and tell the missus? I can't ever remember. Yeah. I really can't. I can't remember what. You would have been excited like a five-year-old kid. hundred <laughs> percent. I was excited. I'd never been more excited than anything. To. I was just yeah, and I just remember going back the next day, and then I just was obsessed, and that's when I learned about obsession. Well, no, that's when I not learned about it. I think I started to get an understanding of what's going on here. So I got so engrossed in this, like I was, I committed, you know. Is obsession different to addiction? Hmm. And the reason I ask, I, there's a specific reason I ask that question, is that obviously in your family mm-hmm. there's a history of addiction. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right? One doctor I go to, mm. she reckons it's actually in your genes. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I come from a very addictive family, yep. right? However, mine's always in regards to either business or any of that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So like on the weekend when I, I blew my quad out to win a running race against mm-hmm. a 70-year-old woman, right? Yep. Not the point. I had to win the fucking race. Hey, that 70-year-old was fast running. <laughs> Just for the record. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like so my, my yeah. if I do something, I do it 100%, right? probably yep. 110% because yep. that's – an addictive or obsessive personality. Mm-hmm. So if you look at your gene setup, because mm-hmm. we can't fix that, that's yeah. just what's there. Yeah. That's that's why I ask the question: is, is do you think there's a difference between obsession and addiction? Yeah, I I, I don't know what it is. I that I've read a little bit about that too. Yeah, it being genetic, and uh, I if, if it is. And I definitely have was. that trait. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely have that trait, but it carries with. I, 
I think if there is any difference between addiction and obsession, it's one thing is linked to passion. Yep. And the other is linked to something that I I attribute passion to good. Yeah. No. Obsession's a good way to actually yeah. the good side of addiction. That's yeah, why I look at that's it. That's right. And then I think there's a uh, something else that attains to bad, hence why there's that fork in the road. You yeah, can't yeah. go good or bad. Um, I just, yeah. So you, you've walked into this gym on on pretty much the first day. He's mm. told you, grab a towel, grab a drink bottle, mm. yep. bring some gloves, whatever, yep. and you're at home. Yeah. Pretty much that, that's the feeling, yeah? Yeah, 100%. You're 120 kilos, obviously yep. not the fittest bloke in the room. No. How quick did it? take you to then realise actually this is not just me coming in about a punch a bag. There is a lot of technique and a lot a lot of dancing, I yep. like to call it, yep. um, in regards to all the different moves and all that sort of stuff. Yep. Do you throw you straight on the bag or in the ring or on the mat? Do you remember? No, I started wrestling first, freestyle wrestling and jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. So this I didn't start striking till five, six, seven years later. Okay. Um, like properly. So I started wrestling and I... I thank God I was put in wrestling first. To mm-hmm. me, wrestling is, is it's hands probably hands down one of the hardest sports you'll ever do. Really? Physically, physically yeah, hard, yeah. Uh, mentally hard. You know, a men- mentality always comes. With and when we sport. say wrestling, we're not saying WWE off the top rope nah, wrestling. We're actually like, talking um, on the mat grappling. Yeah, yeah, Olympic wrestling. So stuff you see in the Olympics and yeah. stuff like that. If you do see it, um, there's so many lessons that are learned through wrestling that you find out about yourself and I just I started with that and I feel like along with my insanity and my not insanity but in, uh, my obsession with um, my obsession with not so much getting it right but just my rep- to do things repetitively and just keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it until you can get it, until you can get it. You're hitting the squash ball against the wall again. Yeah. It was the same thing with this. And the thing was I was just being – I kept wrestling. I never really – I started winning, but I was just – for the first six months, it's just – you just have to learn that, you know what, whatever you think you are and whatever you thought you could do, no, man, <laughs> you can't. You're not, the, you're not the big dog. You're not this, you're not that. you got guys half your weight in there just schooling you, yeah. chucking you on your head, holding you down – all these things as a as a man to have these things taken away from you. Like um, now, what I mean by that, and let me try and explain that. It's um, it's very demoralizing mm. to be held down on your back. However, you want to look at this and not be able to get up. Yeah. Okay. Not so I'm gonna hold anything. you down, yeah. and you can't do shit about it. <laughs> I can punch you. Cool. Ah, it hurts. You're punching me. Yeah. But if you're doing nothing but holding me down against my will, and I can't get up and I can't move, like the fuck is wrong with me? You know yeah. what I mean? Why am? I, why do I feel so weak and vulnerable? But it's just like, okay, I'm weak and I'm vulnerable. But how do I get out of that situation? How do I? How do I deal with that negativity? And and figure a way out. Tribute that to life too. How how do I feel 100%. so vulnerable in this you know yeah, in yeah. this business in this anything? But okay, cool. Figure a way out. Find a way out. And that's what wrestling taught me was to find a way out. 
of any bad situation. And if it fucking if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. You try. You, you live and learn. You mm-hmm. know. That's it. I never died on the mat. So did you die? No, I didn't. <laughs> 100%. You know, I just learned. I just got better. I just learned a lesson. And I did that and I was, I developed that mindset real early in wrestling and I was fortunate enough. I only lost once. I only lost one wrestling match in the three years that I was competing mm-hmm. out of the 50 or so matches that I had. I was beating people that I just weren't supposed to beat. Like yeah. I was just, I won all state titles through Australia. I just... Um, As a wrestler. Yeah, and the only person I ever lost to was my wrestling coach. Oh, really? Yeah, shit house. He shouldn't have come in. And do you think that's because, do you think there was a mental part of that as well? Yeah, 100%. I know what it was, yeah. Yeah. I could have actually beat him, but. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I don't know if I could have, but I. I, He had that against you. Yeah, he just had that, (laughs) you know, which was another lesson I learned. 100%. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It was another psychological lesson. If if I put myself, if I put myself in his position and somebody else in my position, then I'm able to mental warfare that person. Yeah. So that's where that chapter carries on. That's where <laughs> I start learning about that, you know, and it's just... Um, so you've gone, you're wrestling, you're, you're kicking goals, you're making, you're making, um, getting belts, mate, getting your trophy you wanted when you're an eight-year-old kung fu champion. Yeah, that's um, it. <laughs> what makes you then want to start striking? What, what, what moves you from wrestling to MMA? Because if I wanted to fight in the UFC, which was was my that goal, still the end goal? Yeah, it was always a goal to fight in the UFC. Um, I had to learn how to strike. Okay, I had to learn all these other variables that come with mixed martial arts. Yeah. Um, so what are they? What are the martial arts of mixed martial arts? Okay, so t- it's starting to cross over to a, a few more martial arts now. But back then, it was typically wrestling, BJJ, boxing, kickboxing, Muay Thai. Those were sort of okay. the, the foundations, the yeah, yeah. And then, and then there's so many other different elements of striking, and and all these other things coming. And a lot of people up. don't like it because they see the sacrilege to those actual art forms. Mm-hmm. Like I was talking to a, a Thai fighter the other day, and he was saying that he went and fought in Thailand, and it was yep. completely different because there it's a religion. Yeah. And and then like boxing. A lot of boxers don't like MMA because it's dancing and wrestling and little blokes in shorts. Yeah. It's not tough enough, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But then to mix them all together, yeah. to me it's genius. Yeah, <laughs> but, 100%. But the thing is it's sort of how do you do – you, do you go from a wrestler to a boxer? Because it's a completely different yep. mindset, different stance, different yep. – how, how, how does that get taught? So I, I, I believe – and it's just – it's it's a belief that only comes off um, stats and and everything else that you see predominantly champions who come from a wrestling background yeah. and learn to strike and learn to do all these other things that are more they're more successful. Okay. Um, purely just because of the control aspect of wrestling and jujitsu and what that brings to the table. So. You can either be a defensive wrestler or an offensive wrestler. So you're able to either take people down and control them, but you can also, if you come across somebody that you're a better strike with and if they try to take you down, you're a defensive wrestler. So you're able to stop because you're so much better than them at wrestling, you can either take them down or you can stop them from taking you down. Okay. So to be able to have that and then just learn the basics of striking, you don't need to be a world-class Wayne Parr, like these elite strikers, you don't, you just need to, that's the misconception. Okay. You just have to do a few things like anything really well 
and stick to what you know and and that's yeah so wrestling is the art form i feel it yeah i feel it i'll say and, it and if you if you asked every ufc fighter that's come from all different backgrounds yeah would they agree to that do you think or yeah. a majority yeah i think if you yeah because yes. as a spectator, not the way it's seen yeah. at all. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You just have to see the nuances and the little things that are going on there and you'll be able to spot him. you just like, oh, yeah, you know, you just, ah, yeah, I see what you're doing there. You know what I mean? Interesting. A, yeah, yeah. So that's... So that must be fun when you're commentating these days is because you can actually pick that and actually tell people about what's actually going on. Yeah, that's That's it. really cool. So you then start striking. You're learning yep. to strike. Is that so? Is that boxing now? Yeah, boxing. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. And what about the whole sort of tie fighting? Did you did you learn that or not so much tie fighting? It was more kickboxing. So the difference between the muay thai and the uh, kickboxing is there's just uh, there's no elbows in kickboxing. Okay. Um, there's no uh, clinching and kneeing. There's a few small things. Because um, elbows is big in the UFC. Yeah, yeah. So, for sure. did you where did where did you learn elbows? Or oh, that's not your. I learned it from wrestling. Oh, really? Because most of my my elbows came from the ground. Like I'd elbow you on the ground, not standing up. And like I'd get you on the ground and then yeah. get on top, and then I'd drop elbows down. So my elbow system was different than a tie fighter's elbow system standing up. Because he's actually trying to hit yeah. you with his elbows. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. So I learned to develop power lying down as opposed to they create power standing up. So I was able to do it whilst on the ground. So, yeah, yeah. So, was, yeah. So you then, now you're striking. When 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 do you think, okay, I'm going to have my first MMA fight? I was like trying to jump in straight. Like, as far, <laughs> coach, put me in, man. I love this shit. Like, he was like holding me back. I'm like, coach, please stop. So how like, old are you at this stage? I had my first fight, I think, like... Within, like, I was 25 when I must have started training when I was 25 and had a fight. Actually, no, I had a fight, like, maybe a year later. Was that wrestling or MMA? Nah, MMA. Yeah. Like, I started wrestling, like, three months later, wrestling competitions, <laughs> jumping in. And because I was so successful and winning, um, you know, I was just like, Coach, i, I got to fight, man. you gotta, you got to let me fight. Like, it wasn't a... It wasn't a stupid thing. I'm just like, I'm chomping. Like, I, I know I can beat these guys, you know. And it was just like, please give me a chance and give me an opportunity. And then he did. And it was Did awesome. you win the first one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How'd I you won win? The first. Uh, it was a decision because it was, it was modified rules. So I, I remember you can't strike to the head. Oh, okay. You can't punch to the head, but you yeah. can kick to the head. Okay. So I remember going out of my first fight and just throwing three head kicks, boom, boom, <laughs> boom. Like just, if I can't punch you, I'm going to try kick your head off. <laughs> so I just did that. I'm like, I'm a wrestler throwing head kicks. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I did that and that was fuck. Was, tired myself out. Adrenaline fucking kicked in. It was all was, over. Yeah, I was gassed in like 30 seconds. Like, shit, what do I do now? So I just held on and fucking bashed him on the ground and... And you, you won that decision. Yeah. And what's your missions thinking about this all the way through at the time? Scared, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's just, the thing. It's like... It's natural. You know, hell yeah. You're going yeah. into a ring to get beaten yeah. up. Yeah. But I, what I try to tell... You, I mean, you don't get that from guys. Guys are just, you know, buffheads and they're just like, yeah, fuck them up. Yeah. But girls, every time you talk to a girl about it, they're just like, oh, I'm so scared. I'm just like, hey, listen, once you... Again, you're going to react one or two ways. I'm going to put you... You're going to come watch a fight... And you're either going to just 
primal instinct's going to kick in and you're just going to fuck, get him, or yeah. you're just going to cover your eyes and you know, you're not going to watch the fight. One or yeah. two things. And what'd she do? Just goes hard. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. So just, she was like, yeah, kill him. She's the only one you could hear cheering in the audience, you know what I mean? Well, you could hear people, but there's that, that little piercing <laughs> voice all the way through that just separated the crowd. But that's obviously got to be a good thing too. Yeah. When yeah. You, especially if it's something you're now going, this is me, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. And to have that support obviously yeah. is, is beneficial for yeah. that. So we're we're moving on. Then you go into a TV reality show. Yeah. How many fights had you had before that? I think I had like maybe maybe 12, 13 13 fights. Yeah. And you'd gone right in all those? Yeah. Had you lost any? I'd lost two. I, I remember my fifth fight, my sixth fight. I'd won five straight fights. Um, and then I fought this guy, Brian Ebersole, was my first high-profile fight, and I, sh- I just wanted to fight anybody. And I, that's always been me too as, mm-hmm. as a person. I've always been known to never um, shy away from fights or just take anyone. So this guy was like a um, – he had 60 fights. He's from the States. He was a wrestler, real season fighter. Yeah. And um, it just – and you were this cocky. Yeah, I just I just wanted to just beat I wanted to up. test myself, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. And I got humbled, you know what I mean? There was I just got humbled and I was just like it's amazing when you think you can't lose and then you lose. It's like fuck. What the fuck I probably the I, best thing that ever happened to you. Yeah, it was. Yeah. That was that's what it was. It was just like, okay, cool. I can lose. Did you have the dad in the back of your head saying, What did you do wrong, son? Yeah, no, I uh, that, yeah, that was in me, yeah, 100%. Yeah. That's always Every there. Like, yeah, and I mean, I was back at training on Monday. I fought Saturday, I was back at training Monday and just fucking, I just had one speed. I just redlined it mm. for like eight years and just, I was just obsessed. I couldn't. So you went from 120 kilos. What was your fighting weight then? 84. That's a big drop. Yeah. So yeah. you dropped your 36 kilos. Yeah. And so what's that, middleweight? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So then, do you get? How do you get on this show? So you got to audition in Vegas. Okay. Yeah. So you got to fly to Vegas. You yep. go into a big ballroom, like uh, I always say, like uh, you've watched um, those singing shows where they go and audition at a big yeah, like auditorium, the voice, or the voice and all that shit. Yeah, yeah. But what, what made you want to do that? I've always was wanted that... to do the Ultimate Fighter. Okay. So there is a reason why I chose. My goal was to do the Ultimate Fighter as opposed to just getting a contract and going straight into the UFC. Okay. Why is that? So my – the reasoning was I needed – I was a shy person who wasn't really comfortable talking about myself. Yeah. Okay. So I had no personality. I had no profile. I had nothing. I'm right. how can I get people to know me, recognize me? Okay, what does the ultimate fighter do? It fucking builds a – well, of course, it builds, builds a, a personality, builds a profile, and, mm-hmm. and that's it. And then you go out to the world. The moment I made the ultimate, okay, so let's let's sorry rewind back to getting into it. So what you do is you go to the uh, auditions in Vegas. They hold a big auditorium. There was like, um, and granted, this. How did you fund all this? Sponsors. Okay. Yeah. So by this stage, you're 12 fights in. You're doing yeah. pretty good. Yeah. And you say to your coach, "Hey, I'm going to go this way." Yeah. And obviously they're all going, yeah, fuck, yeah, why not? Yeah, why yeah, yeah. Do that? yeah. And then you get some good sponsorships and then they look after you, yeah. take you there and do that sort of I stuff. just needed FS. I just mm-hmm. needed to get there. I could fucking stay in a fucking – Hostel, yeah, whatever. whatever. <laughs> yeah, I just needed FS to get there. That was the biggest part. So and do you have to be accepted to go to the audition? Nope. 
You can no. just rock up. No, yep, just rock up. Yeah. So, and you're not guaranteed that they're even going to do your weight class. So, listen, what they'll do is they'll say, hey, all right, thing goes out to the world of press. All right, we're doing lightweights and middleweights. Okay, cool. Awesome. I'm going to fly to Vegas and try out for the middleweights. Mm-hmm. All right, you get in there. All right, we're not doing middleweights. Uh, we don't have enough. We're just going to do lightweights this year. Like, oh, fuck. And did that happen? Uh, yeah, that happened twice. Really? Yeah, it happened twice. So um, you've flown the hair. Yeah, that's it. And then no, not yeah. having go yeah. home. Yeah. Wow. That's it. So that was year one, then yep. same thing year two. Yeah. I auditioned in Australia once and in Vegas three times. Really? Yeah. So in Australia they ended up doing welterweights instead of middleweights. They auditioned for both. That was yeah. one that Rob Whitaker won. Uh-huh. Um, I went to that. Uh the first yeah. Season 13 I tried out for. Then I did the ultimate. Um, there's a few others. but And then finally, season 17 of the ultimate fighter. So how old are you at this stage? 31. Okay. So you're getting on yep. From yep. A, for an MMA fighter. Yep. 31. So granted, I started this at 25. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So now you're so, six years in. Yep. You've obviously got more than 12 fights under your belt. Yep. 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 I think I had about 15. I think I had about 15 fights by mm-hmm. Um, and I go to Vegas and um, I audition. I had a friend in Vegas who was always looking out for me and stuff like that. So they've, they've said, okay, we're going to do middleweights, and you're there going, yeah, baby. Yeah. I mean, yeah. did you know you'd make it? <clears throat> uh, I had to. I had to have a belief that I was going to. Yeah, of course. Because if I didn't, I was fucking not going to waste that money mm-hmm. or waste somebody else's money. So I went there. I would, uh, so there was, they, we get there and there's 500 middleweights, five or 600 middleweights standing in a lobby ready to audition for the final 20. Okay, mm-hmm. so we've got 600 middleweights here. I'm looking around. Cool. All right, so how it works, you get paired off 20s, 20, 20, 20. Dana, Joe Silver, all the hired execs call you into a, a giant room where first round is you wrestle. You've got to wrestle one out of the 20, one of those guys. They're going to call a number out. You're going to jump in the middle and you're going to wrestle for doesn't them. matter who it is. No, it doesn't matter. What number were you? I was the last one to get called out. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, I was the last one to get called out. I'm looking around the room, and this is the thing, because you're, you're sizing everyone up. You're yeah, just like, yeah. okay, who am I? Who have I got? Ooh, who I calls I... the numbers, though? They do. Yeah, they call. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, there. I'm sitting there, and I'm just, uh, all right, boom, 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 cool. I get on the mat, wrestle, and just go fucking hard. That's all you do. You've got two minutes to impress these guys. Yeah. And then you just go hard. So I'm just, you can't, yeah, I'm just going hard. Cool, that 20's done. Get off the mat. And then they start going, all right, a few minutes later, they'll go, okay, one's in, three, five, four, whatever. Call the numbers, yeah? Ten out of that 20 will get in. Then they'll do the next round. So you, you made that round? Yeah. Yep. But I was the last name called out in that <laughs> round. I'm like, fuck, okay, that's nine people. Yeah. And Dylan Andrews, oh, fuck. <laughs> Are you the only Kiwi there? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Any Aussies? No. So it's just you are pretty much an All-American? Just All-Americans, some people from Europe, yeah. but pretty much that's it. Cool, next round's boxing, boxing, kickboxing. So they have their own pad holders, tie holders, all that. So you go in and they, you stand in front of Dana and all that, and you do pads. You go hard, whatever you do, whatever you do. Again, they'll number you off. Once 10, boom, made it through that round. So I made it through the striking round. Next round is the interview. You go into the boardroom with the execs. So you go in with the director of Spike TV, all these people. Now they start interviewing you as a personality. All right, what do you offer? Blah, 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 blah. And I, you're this shy bloke from New Zealand. 100%. But I was fucking, <laughs> I was fucking, <laughs> adrenaline was just flowing, man. Yeah. I was just like, 
fucking chomping. So I, I walk in the Zek, and obviously you walk into a giant Zek room, the table's all the way down the back, so you have to do the walk of shame for like 20 minutes till you yeah. get to the table. I get there, they're just staring at me, everything's going in slow motion, so I'm cool. And he's looking at my profile, he's going, oh, you're from New Zealand, ah, oh, the All Blacks. And I'm like, yeah, man, cool, all right, commonality. Yeah. Let's talk about the All Blacks. Yeah. So we start doing that a little bit. And then, so we cool, I think it's going well. And then he goes, uh, he looks at it and he goes, all right, drops the paper and he goes, get the fuck out of here. And I'm just like, what's that? He said, get the fuck out of here. This is the exact mm. spike TV. So I get up and I walk out and I go to open the door and I go, I remember this vividly. And I remember shutting that I go, fuck this. I turn around, I go back and he goes, what are you doing? I said, get the fuck out of here. I said, I can't leave, bro. I came from New Zealand. I've fucking done this. I've done that. This is my fourth time. He goes, bro, you're in. Get out of here. Oh, really? Yeah, and I just remember fucking walking back, <laughs> opening that door, and I walk out, and I just see 100 middleweights lined up outside this room, and my head's just down, and I've got a big grin on my face, and I see my friend who lives in Vegas. He's standing all the way down to the end of the line. He's just like, and I just go, I just, my head's down. I look up, and I smile. I just go, and then I'm just fucking walking out of there. Fucking. What did the other hundred do? Oh, fuck, there's only 93 they no one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that was it. And then I just remember, like... So where'd they film it? In Vegas. So then you stay in Vegas from then or you have to go back? No, you fly back and mm-hmm. then a month later, I think it was a month. Uh, so they just say basically, all right, you're going to have to fight to get into the house. So this isn't going to be a fucking... You're not just in. You're going to have to fight to get in the house. So what I recommend you do is go back for this next month, hustle your ass off, train, get ready, and because when you come back, you're going to fight. So I was like, okay, so my month, I flew back and then that was just me getting ready for that fight. Yeah. And um, so I come back, they fly you back two weeks early to do your medicals, all your testing, make sure you're physically right. And then um, then they go live on TV and they start doing the film production. And So during all this, you've mm. obviously, um, have you had a baby yet? Yes. Yeah, so yeah. you've had your little daughter. Yeah, I've got, yeah, Tyree yeah. and Neva. Yeah, yeah. so uh, when you went into the house, though, yeah. Yeah. you had one kid or both by then? Both. Both yeah. by then. Yeah, yeah. So they're obviously staying back in Australia. Yeah. And um, they'd be, what, three or four, one of them would be. So I was a 32, Neva's like, yeah, like five. So six. she's starting to understand. So she'd be yeah. like be able to see you on the telly and yeah. do all that sort of stuff. That yeah. must be a pretty surreal experience for yeah. the kid as yeah. well. Yeah, it was. It was crazy, but they never... This was my thing. This was another thing too. I always wanted my kids, like I seeked, I don't know if I seeked approval, but I was like, I knew what it meant. Yeah, yeah, But they didn't. Yeah. It was cool, but it was just like, and I guess that's a good humbling thing about your family and your kids. (laughs) They bring you down. Yeah, shit, dad. You're still my dad. Like, can you get my breakfast? Like, you know what I mean? Put him on the telly. (laughs) Yeah, do you see me on the telly, man? I ain't getting your breakfast. Get your ass here and breakfast. You know, but it never worked out like that. So that was... Was, That's a good, good thing for you, though. It was really the good. The humbling thing yeah, is yeah. amazing. It was, yeah. So you go over there, you fight to get into the house. Yep. You then get into the house. How many guys make it into the house? 14. So it must be a fucking big house. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. <laughs> yeah. So then you're living in this house in Vegas. Yeah, giant mansion. And you're getting friendly with each other because yep. you've got to actually fight each other, don't you? Yep. Isn't that the whole concept yep. of the show? Yep. But are you becoming like mates and yep. are you picking yep. who, who you're sort of – there's alliances and all that sort of stuff start yep. happening? Well, there's two teams. 
So you've got two okay. coaches, two opposing teams. Who was your coach? Uh, mine was John Jones. Yep. And the other Not one a bad was, fighter. Yeah, he's, he's all right. <laughs> he might tell you that wrestling's important. Um, and then I had um, Chell Sonnen was the other coach. So okay. we, we both choose seven fighters. Seven for Chow, seven for Bones. I was the last pick on John Jones. Well, I wasn't the last. There was no one else left in the room. Yeah. I was, all right, you go to John Jones. Um, There's a pattern. 100%. And I'm seeing it as that. Mm. Like, this isn't like, this isn't poor me. So I'm last. Is this like the kid getting picked last for the footy team at school? Yeah, is that 100%. the way you're feeling? Yeah. Mm. But it was just like, fuck, man, you guys don't even know. Exactly. I'm about to show you. You know what I mean? And so that it made was, you uh, go harder. Yeah. 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 If I if I if I could go any harder, it was like, yeah, if I couldn't, I mean, it was like, I'm gonna go harder, I'm gonna step it up another level. And I made us there's in the fight game, there's things that you can do to establish um respect. Yep. Okay, and it has to be you have to sort of Put that, lay that down, and the one way to do that in fighting is through sparring. Okay, okay, through sparring. So you go in and you're just like, okay, there's alphas on teams, there's alphas in there's gyms, alphas in there's yeah. alphas and everything. So what you do is like, okay, I'm fucking never going to prison, but you've seen the movies. Take you know, you get the guy who goes fucking, you know what, go find the baddest man in the yard and go fucking punch him in the face. Yeah, punch him in the face. <laughs> that's pretty much what I did in the gym. That's yeah. what I that's what I did. I chose the baddest dude on our team who was gonna have to live with us and was gonna have to be around me the most, who he thought was bad. Yeah. I'm like, dude, you ain't bad, man. I'm gonna show you what bad is. And we sparred, and that's exactly what I did. Like I, I broke him. You know what I mean? And is, and what's John Jones think of that at the time? And this is John Jones's boy. They trained. Yeah. This is John Jones's training partner. <laughs> They're buddies. And I remember John on the on the cage, standing on the coach, like, get up, get up, like, don't let him do that. You can't let him do that. He's blah blah blah. I'm like, nah, man. And I just fucking dropped him again and again and again. But that I feel that messed him up for the season. Oh, really? That messed him up for the season because he came in with such high hopes and expectations. Like, I'm the so man. He was the favorite. Yep. He was. He, on the outside of the house, he was the baddest dude. He was kicking ass, winning fights. Dude. Yeah. You know, he, was the, he was the bad dude. He come from a massive gym, Jackson Wink, with John Jones, his main sparring partner. Yeah. And then I was just like, nah, bro. And you take him down. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then I just, that's it. And then from that, and then just. Were was, you perceived differently after that fight, or after that sparring session in the house? Nah. It was after my first fight. Okay. So who's you could fight against? I uh, fought Zach Cummings, who's another season on the outside stud. Yeah. Winning massive record, massive fights, tough. So do you think the show, because obviously it's a setup, the show, and what mm -hmm. I mean by setup is the fights aren't staged, but they, they go, okay, what's the best storyline here? Yeah. Let, let's put this guru on this side who's the king against the, the young bloke yep. who gets picked last on this side. Yep. Because he'll win that fight and then we can then stage this yep. through to the phone and then yep. the two legends meet. Yep, yep. And then you kicked his ass. I fucked all that up for them. <laughs> I'm the fucking, I was the best and the worst thing that ever happened to that show. Like, fuck, can someone take this guy out? So I, I did that. I, I, so you beat him in the first yeah, fight? Yeah, I beat him in the first fight. Had a good fight. Um, and then I was like, okay, so let's... So my next fight was yeah. against the number one pick. This is the number one pick on the show out of everything. So, so he, he was the favourite. Yeah, six foot six. Uh, he'd come in weighing probably up to 95 kilos from 84. How heavy can you be? 
as heavy mm-hmm. as you want, but you have to weigh 84 on the day. Oh, okay. Yeah, so 84 can, is the middle weight. Yeah. yeah. So this was the biggest dude on the team, on the opposite team, uh, Luke Barnett. And um, I remember before the fights, so I'm sitting in the change rooms. I'm pumped, man. I'm like, oh, this guy ain't going to beat me. Like, I just – not in an arrogant way. Yep. So we'll get that clear. And is John Jones coaching you through this? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And what's yeah. he saying to you? Uh, he's just saying uh, he, he – he, He's already recognized family is a big thing for me. Yeah. Heritage is a big thing for me. Where I come from is a big thing for me. Mm -hmm. So when you do, when you find that out about somebody, whatever it is, you use that. Yeah, of course. So that was a big thing for me. Um, Show me, I had a picture of my kids. Show me that in between rounds. Anytime you see a chink or you see something like, okay, this dude might be not losing it, but just like he needs some inspiration. And their thing was show me a photo of my kids. And there's a good... There's a good part in this fight where they show, they jump up on top of the cage and they show my kids a photo of my kids in between the round. And I'm just like, I look and I just get tunnel vision. I'm just staring at, staring at, staring at. And then I get off the stool and I just, it's, it's just chaos after mm. it's berserk in the cage. But prior to that fight, I'm, so I'm sitting in there, sorry. Um, I'm sitting in the change rooms and I'm just warming up, getting ready for the fight. This is awesome. Great, great, great. Knock at the door. Called Dana White walks in. Says, hey, Dana. And behind him walks Mike Tyson. Had you met Dana before? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wasn't care that Dana was there. Was, the, was then, the man. And then Mike Tyson walks in behind him. He comes up, shakes my hand, has a little talk to me about the fight. Like, listen, just – and then I'm just like – that's Mike, that's Mike Tyson. That's yeah, Mike Tyson, man. I'm just like, I could run through, if I didn't think I could run through a brick now wall. I can. No, I can. And that was the fight that I won fight of the season off. That was my best performance. That yeah. was, it was the most, and I was able to knock the guy out with Mike Tyson cage side right there, left that body lying on the ground right in front of Mike Tyson. And I was just like, and I remember jumping up on the cage and just look, they've got legends all around the gym. And I just remember jumping up on the cage, and you'll see it in the videos as well. And I'm just staring. I'm just looking at the legends. I'm just like, yeah. I'm just like, fuck yeah. That was that was it, man. That was that was the <laughs> feeling I've been one. looking for. Yeah. And um, I just it was. It wasn't. I don't get. I don't get joy out of a win. I get joy out of adversity. Yep. I get joy. I get happy out of adversity, overcoming something. So that's my growth factor. That's what I feel good about is like f- fucking failing and like figuring it out. That's my thing. That's that's just you. Yeah. Fail and figure it out. So you got through to the semifinals. Mm-hmm. You got beat. Yep. Who beat you? Uh, Uriah Hall. Did he win it? Uh, he lost in the finals against Calvin Gastelum. Okay. Um, but the thing with, <coughs> excuse me, um, the thing with Uriah Hall, everyone was scared. Everyone was scared to fight Uriah. If you seen, if you saw, saw Uriah, he was killing people, literally almost killed somebody in the first fight. And that sent the benchmark for him mm-hmm. and the fear that he put in all the other fighters. So he gets to the end. Dana White calls you in the office and goes, hey, listen, who do you want to fight? Go, oh, I want to fight Uriah Hall. He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> no one has picked Uriah Hall. No yeah. one wants to fight Uriah Hall. And I go, I know. I live in the house. No one wants to fight him. That's cool. That's what I'm here for. I'm here. Win, lose, I'll fight him. It doesn't matter. I'm not scared. Yeah. You know? And I lost. But fuck it. I just... But Dana's obviously seen that as a... Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So I'm sitting in there. I've got Charles Sonnen, John Jones, and Dana White. And um, I'm sure Jones is like, no, no, don't 
Choose a short pudgy guy. Like, nah, man, fuck that. So I, I did that and didn't go my way. But then I was, because um, of my performance off the Ultimate Fighter, I was, I was given a contract. So do you remember that day? Was it Dana White that rang you? Or how do you get told that you've got a contract or offered a contract? Was that uh, straight after the show? Uh, Dana told us yeah. if you. Uh, no, okay, so everyone, because the season was so good, mm. everyone got to fight in Vegas. The okay. ultimate, whole cast got to come back. It was so good. The season was so good. The ratings were so good. It was the best up till 17, and it still might be now. It was the number one show going yeah. around the US. And um, so it was like, you guys all get a fight. You guys put on a fucking massive performance, unbelievable. So we all got to fight in Vegas. If we won in Vegas, we got a contract. So I'm like, okay, all I need to do is go to Vegas and win, and that's it. And you and I, did. And I won, yeah. And then you get the contract. Yep. And, like, to me, UFC contract is like it's like a Conor McGregor walking in in his suit and signing yeah, a contract. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or is it just behind the scenes and, yep, we're done. Let's, yeah, let's yeah, fight. that's it. Fuck, it's in an email, man. <laughs> <laughs> you can print it out and make it look as fancy as you want, but, fuck, you just signed a bit of paper. So you ring back home. Yeah. I've just got a contract in the UFC. Mm. And what's the family thinking now? Because you mentioned earlier the family is starting to grow off your back. Mm, yeah, much. yeah. Is there is is there proud? Yeah, I think that's it. I think yeah. it's yeah. To the people who really know me, it's it's a proud moment, you know. And um, it's funny, you know, you have people come out of fuck people you don't even know or oh, everyone comes out now. Oh, he's yeah, my mate. I've yeah, my yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I wasn't till like when I just uh, broke up with the kid's mum that I realised. Who your friends are and who aren't. Hundred percent. And um, and it was the same with fighting. It was like you know people left after that. It's like, oh, yeah, it's fucking. So how many fights in the UFC did you have? Uh, I had four fights. Yeah. Four. I had six fights. Yeah. So I won the first two by knockout. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the first in the second fight, I partially fractured my shoulder. And then, so I had a pretty bad performance. And actually, granted, prior to that, two weeks before that, one of my best mates committed suicide. Oh, shit. So I was in Indianapolis. I get the phone call. Actually, I was in Colorado at the time, and I got the phone call that, hey, blah, 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 killed himself. And fuck, yeah, so all right. So two weeks, two weeks out prior to this fight, I'm like, all right. So you see my entrance to my debut fight in the UFC, and then you see my second one, and you just see, you can see it on my face. I'm just, fuck, I don't want to be here. I just, it's the fucking worst thing. Mm. And um, the performance showed, and then my coach just got in my ear in the theory and said, fucking listen, I know their shoulder's fucked. You're going to have to knock, you're going to have to finish, you have to finish this guy, you have to finish him. you got to knock him out, you got to, you know. So I went out and knocked him out with my other arm, and I was just like, <laughs> but it was just that... <sighs> Yeah, it was, uh, that's, you get, yeah, you get down on yourself, you feel sorry for yourself, and under the circumstances, yeah, granted, yeah, cool, I understand it, fucking friend died, committed suicide, it's yeah. tragic, it happens. Again, it's shit, it happens, but you fucking got to keep moving, man, mm-hmm. and I didn't realise I had to keep moving until round three. And then it's like, it's like I've got to keep doing it. And that was my, okay, this is my... All right, this is my thought. This is you have to keep moving. You got to keep moving. I went out, and that was an example of all right. If you keep moving, something's good or bad. I was yeah. either going to lose. I was either going to knock him out, or I wasn't. I was going to lose the fight. 
was fortunate enough to knock him out and win the fight. Cool. That was an example of keep moving forward. Good. Mm-hmm. Rewarded. Bang. That's what happens. Third fight. Uh, my arm goes. I throw a punch and fucking explodes. Literally explodes. You see the shoulder come out the back of my shoulder and it was disgusting. I tried to finish the fight. I even tried to hide it. Um, you can see it on TV. <laughs> my, arm, my arm's dragging. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to punch at this one. I'm trying to <laughs> kick with legs and I'm just like... So, and then I'm like, to the ref, I just can't. I'm sorry, I can't. My arm's fucking, well, you can see it's dangling. Yeah. So we had to stop the fight. Um, then so was when, that a reconstruction? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Straight into surgery. How the next day. Uh, I was out for, I think, whatever the recommended time. I don't know, eight weeks of nothing and then rehab and yeah. all that shit. So you're not really fighting for three or four months yeah. at least. Yeah. Uh, is the family in the States with you at this time or are you on your own? That one was in Brisbane. That oh, okay. was in Brisbane. The one before that with the friend passing away, that was in Indianapolis. Um, but then my, all my next three fights after that were in Australia. Oh, that's handy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was. Yeah. yeah. I liked it, but I didn't like it because the whole point of me, uh, not the point, I, I love traveling. Okay. I loved seeing the world. Yeah. Oh, that's a huge part of... For me, I wasn't able to see the world any other way. Yeah, Finan- okay. Financially, yep. you know what I mean? I wasn't able to enjoy the locations as much as I would as if I wasn't with the UFC. Um, so I like that. But um, it was always good to have that hometown support and everything else like that and friends and family could come and see. So that was cool. Um, but I ended up dislocating my arm in my third fight. Fourth flight, I went for a suplex on somebody. So anyone doesn't know what that is, say you're... You have a guy standing, you go behind him, you wrap your arms around his waist and you try and throw him over your head. Suplex him. Yep. So I did that and it went wrong. He caught something and I landed on my head and knocked myself out. So that was shit house. That was my third. And then my last one, I broke my orbital. So I just couldn't see in the first, I can't even remember if it was the first or second round. So I broke my orbital and I could just remember seeing double. And I remember, and you can hit the one in the middle. Hit the one in the middle. <laughs> okay, so there you go. So the the ref comes up to me. He goes, "You okay? You okay?" Like, because I'm like, I can't. I'm trying to wipe my eye, <laughs> and it's see. not going away. It's not yeah. going away. I wipe it. Still double. Wipe double. And then I go, um, and then he comes up to me. And you, what they do is they hold fingers up. How many fingers am I holding up? I said, "Listen, all right." In my head, I'm like, "This guy's going to hold up fingers. Remember, it's double." So whatever fingers you see, halve it. <laughs> so he says, how many fingers am I holding up? He goes, four. I go, two. Yep, awesome. <laughs> Carry on fighting. I shoot in to try and get a quick finish, and then I get caught in a submission. And I'm just like, <laughs> so I'm just like. So how does a career end in the UFC? Do they, you not get any more fights? you not get a contract? Yeah, pretty much ring that. And say, look, now nah, you're not coming back? No, nah, as good as the contract is that you um, sign when you start is as good as the contract you sign when you end. Okay. So I'll just send something out. Just so, thanks, thanks for yeah, your time. Thanks, your shit house. Get out of here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Where'd the name the villain come from? Just when I started training at, on top of the video store. Oh, really? Yeah, my coach was just like right from early, like you know, he was like, "You need a fight name." I'm just like, "Oof, I don't really want a fight name." <laughs> I'm not. That's I'm not just my. Yeah, I'm just telling. That, that's that's been it. I just, I was never about that. It, to me, it was just like. I don't want that's cheesy, and it's like I don't want to give off the wrong impression. Yeah, of course. You know what I mean? I'm not. It's a self-conscious thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm not in it for maybe some of the other reasons that other people are in. Like I'm not trying to scare people with my name. And he was like, "No, that's not it. It's just like the brand." Yeah, and you're. 
bad dude. You're nice, but you can become the villain. Mm. You can become the bad person. So build your persona. Yeah, you? and that's just it happened to rhyme with Dylan. So I was like, oh, well, <laughs> fuck. That's a given, eh? <laughs> there we go. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So have you retired? Oh, man. I know I asked you this the other day. and, yeah. and I don't. Yeah. Do you ever retire? Yeah, that's probably that's a better it. question. I just, I've got to find a balance of trying to train and not want to get back in there. Mm-hmm. It's hard. I know a lot of good fighters who have had to stop. Yeah. Um, striking is a big thing. I don't know what the correlation between striking and wrestling and wanting to fight is because I know people who don't stop striking. Mm-hmm tend to want to carry on fighting. Yeah. And I don't know if it's the, the primal thing of just hitting. When you hit when you hit someone, it feels good. Not like – I'm not going to just go up onto a street and hit somebody because it feels I good. Know, it's just but the, there's something about it. There's oh, something without doubt, mate. There's something – and I, I feel it. And I don't know if it's – I don't know. It's too – it's, it's too so much. So you're not going to answer that question is pretty much what you're telling me. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> What's your greatest ever achievement in life? Oh, I mean, it's cliche, you know, kids. kids it's not is, cliche. But it's just, just the thing that brings the most joy amongst anything. 100%. You know what I mean? Every, everything can be shit. Yeah. You got your kids, nothing nothing matters. Right. And and the way that, like, obviously you're not with their mum anymore, mm. but the way that you still father them yeah. is, uh, is a credit to you because yeah. there's a lot of blokes that don't do that and yeah. there's a lot of mums that don't do that. Yeah. But the fact that kids come first is the most important thing and yeah. hats off to you because that's an that's a awesome trait to yeah, actually yeah. have. Yeah, cheers. Who is the person or the people who are the most influenced in your career? Is there one? Other than the video shop owner? Yeah, fuck, what a sick dude he was. <laughs> <laughs> probably my first coach, probably my first coach. Yeah. And... <clears throat> What was his well, name? Uh, Luke Pizzuti mm-hmm. in Sydney at the Lions Den because he started it. He started. He built me. He built the. He built the machine, which is me. He was the uh, that just the artist, the curator. Yeah, yeah. He was. He was so good, and he was. He was Are everything. You still in touch with him, or? Yeah, occasionally. Yeah, yeah. But he was everything that that man needed at that time. Yes. He 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 was the teacher from five to fifteen that I was looking for in school. Somebody who could connect with me the way I needed to be connected with. Yep. And he just fucking, he ticked all the boxes, man. That's and awesome. That was it. Yeah. Mate, the way I like to always finish my podcast with some quick fire questions. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Favorite food? Avocado. Favorite song? Fuck. Quick fire. Come on. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Die Straits, Romeo and Juliet. Oh, what a great song. Favourite place in the world? Colorado. What's next for Dylan, the retired villain? Oh, sorry, can't say that. Yeah. What's next for Dylan? Launching a clothing empire. DTV, bring it on. Boom. Mate, as far as I'm concerned, you're an awesome human. Thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, champion. Cheers, See, mate. mate. What an amazing human. Thank you so much for listening today. I really hope that you enjoy the rest of the Podfire podcasts and I really hope that you enjoyed Awesome Humans. 
reach out to us on Podfire and all the social media channels as well as BJ Macca uh, to reach out to me personally. Have a great day.